You're listening to the King's Church Podcast. Visit us online at kingswisbeach.org.uk. If you'd like to um, just turn in your Bibles, first of all, to Micah chapter 5, which is the, um, the prophecy that we're particularly focused on in this series, all about Bethlehem. I'll just read this short passage. Micah chapter 5 and beginning at verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler in Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. That's the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah, um, a prophecy delivered hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And yet, making it very clear exactly where this saviour would be born. And then Matt, last week, talked to us about how Bethlehem as a chosen place and how events conspired to make sure that Jesus was actually born in Bethlehem. Even though his parents, um, his mother and the the foster father that, uh, that he had growing up, They actually lived in Nazareth. But amazingly enough, Caesar Augustus, the great Roman emperor, had arranged for a census to be taken. And everybody in the empire had to travel to their hometown, as it were, to be registered. And Joseph's hometown was Bethlehem, because Joseph was from the line of David. So in a sense, when we read um, the passage in Luke chapter two that I'm going to be talking about in a minute, we're seeing two worlds colliding. We're seeing two settings here. On the one hand, you've got the great Roman empire with the emperor issuing his edict and the whole population all traveling about. And this emperor incidentally called himself son of God, he called himself the prince of peace, he called himself the emperor of the world, and on the human level that's what it looked like. He, was, he had all the cards as it were. But at the same time, the real emperor of the world, the real prince of peace, the real savior, the real one was being born, in an obscure place called Bethlehem. Not where you would have expected the great king to be born. But we find that actually even the Roman Empire is only temporary and is actually subordinate to the plan and purpose of God. So what looked like a really rough deal they were getting from the emperor But God's purpose was being worked out in it. And hundreds of years before, 
we can see that God knew exactly what was going to be happening and had everything arranged and planned. And it all turned out just as he said, because Bethlehem was the chosen place. Now today, we're going to look at another aspect of Bethlehem, the place that's chosen for the humble poor. I'm going to read the passage in the New Revised Standard Version, partly because it, it has the best translation of something I want to particularly mention. So it's Luke chapter 2, if you want to follow it, in your Luke's Gospels. In those days, a decree went out from the Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary to whom he was betrothed and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to, live, to deliver her child and she gave birth to her firstborn son and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the guest room. Right. So not only are we in a rather obscure little village, I mean, they call it City of David because it was, you know, King David's birthplace, but it wasn't a city. It was a little village. Very small, very insignificant place, as Matt explained to us last week. In fact, so small that it almost certainly did not contain a commercial travelling inn. Because it was not on any trade routes, it was not on any main roads, it's a small, obscure village. There are no big hotel chains there. So I'm about to blow something out of the water for some of you, but, but in, the in the reality of what, what actually happens here. Now, if you've been to see any children's nativities, you know what happens. There's an innkeeper who says, no, all my rooms are taken, I haven't got room. And every innkeeper in this town with all its vast travel lodges is saying the same thing. Because, of course, half the population are moving and needing lodgings at this time. And so they end up in a stable, you know, along with all the camels and horses and dear knows what all else that people have been travelling with. That is not mentioned at all in the Bible. There's no suggestion of that. Let me explain to you how a small village in Judea would have looked. It would have been full of little houses, most of which would have been one room, and uh, you have one room and then a slightly lower place at the end of the room where the entrance is where at night they bring in the donkey and the sheep or the you know the goat whatever animals they've got because uh, it would be unsafe to perhaps to leave them out in the courtyard at night but at night time all the animals of the house were in there so in this lower bit of the house and there's um, feeding boxes there for them if you were a little bit better off you would have another room attached to your house, either at the side or on the flat roof, which would be your guest room. And that's where visitors coming would lodge. Now, day, uh, for, for Joseph and Mary, they are actually going to the place Joseph's family comes from. The place will be full of his relatives. 
Now, try think yourself into a different culture from 21st century Britain here. If you were in the Middle East today, when family come to stay, you put them up. Lots of countries, that is the case. If your, if your relatives turn up, of course, you host them. They don't go and book in at the local travel lodge. They come and stay with you. The problem was there were so many of them because David's house, I mean, now David had lived quite some centuries before. And if you've watched that program that um, comes up every so often, Who Do You Think You Are? Do you know the one where they pick some fairly well-known person and they research their history and go back and uh, it's on BBC, you know, and they, they sort of discover where they've come from. Surprisingly, quite a few of the people who've been on it, who've been really pretty ordinary folks like us, There's, one of them was an actor in EastEnders, and you know, I, f I forget who the other ones were, but quite a few of them have discovered that though they grew up in very ordinary circumstances, when you go back through their lineage, they turn out to be related to royalty. Because, of course, when the king has children, and then they have children, and they have children, and they have children, they don't all live in the palace. And for Joseph and Mary, he was a carpenter in a town called Nazareth, but actually he was part of the royal lineage of David, and so back to David's town he had to go, along with all the others. And when it comes to it, there is just not room. But there's no suggestion that they were actually thrown out by their relatives. It's just that um, obviously the ox and the ass or whatever else all had to stay in the courtyard by this time because there's people filling every available space including the bit where the animals were only they probably weren't there sorry kids and the nativity plays there probably wasn't an ox and an ass and a sheep and a lamb all bowing down around the crib and it wasn't a nice little sort of um, three-sided stable you know so that the photographers could take photos and make a nice picture <laughs> Why I say all this is because we need to understand this story is rooted in real life, in real history, with real people. And those people were not high-flying emperors or famous people who were sort of, you know, in somehow special holy people, you know, with goldfish bowls around their heads in the pictures. <laughs> These were just ordinary people, like you or me. Not even wealthy, prosperous ones, just simple peasant people living in simple houses where all your relatives are now sort of putting their sleeping mats side by side. And, and the guest room, well, that was filled up long ago. So Joseph and Mary are crowded into this place, giving birth in not the ideal location, although my guess is the men were probably outside as well while it was all happening. But it's part of a normal peasant home ordinary folk. What Clive was saying earlier about, you know, if you'd been the corporate people sort of planning this event, one of the things you'd, you'd want, you know, is rather better facilities, much better publicity. But no, the king didn't even know it was happening. This gospel is good news for the poor. And it's very typical of God that he picks a little obscure place the way Micah describes it, you know, Bethlehem, though you are little among the clans of Ju Judah, not much regarded nowadays. But that's typical of our God, who chooses the unlikely. 
what we find in um, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, for example. We find, um, where are we? Reference gone. 126. Anyway, yeah. You know, he says, when you think about yourselves, you know, not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. As with everything else God does, there's never any question about where the glory goes. This is about what God is doing. And he picks people who wouldn't be the obvious ones. So yes, we've got this very ordinary little family and when it comes to uh, the announcement of his birth, it wasn't to the emperor in Rome to let him know that actually the guy who's going to supplant you forever and ever is here now. It wasn't even to Herod in Jerusalem, the sort of puppet king that the Romans have in place there. It wasn't even to the high priest in the temple. No, the entire angel choir arrives on a farm outside Bethlehem and announces it to a bunch of shepherds. Again, shepherds were kind of bottom of the pile when it came to the social structure. Strange, isn't it, considering that King David had been a shepherd boy before he became a king, you know, the youngest son in the family in a little town of Bethlehem, and he's out minding the sheep when Samuel comes to anoint a king. And none of the older brothers were the ones because the Lord is looking at what's in the heart. And what the Lord says echoes what Micah repeats in his thing. I have found a man after my own heart to be this king. And what Micah says, it's from you will come forth for me one who's to be a ruler in, in Israel. In other words, what God is looking for is somebody who is open for his purpose, not somebody who wants to be king and become the big grand person that everybody admires and bows down to. No, he's looking for a man who is going to respond to what he wants and for his, fulfill his purposes because the whole point of this unspeakable event where God himself is coming to earth is not just um, to fulfill the longings of people, although it will do that, for people who are longing for justice on the earth, for there to be no more stories like we saw of Courage Hope there, that we saw on that video, for there to be no more of this oppression and, and, and hideous evil going on. He wants to redeem his creation and the whole point of this is that he, this king is coming for him. He's going to be the one through whom it all arrives. So yes, it's not in Jerusalem where you might have expected. Because this kingdom has a whole different set of values from what this world values. 
And so, yes, it's announced to some shepherds who, as I say, are bottom of the heap. But they get the entire angel choir singing the praises of God, telling them that there is born for you this day in the city of David a saviour who is Christ the Lord. Let me just... So he's saying, don't be afraid. Angels always say, don't be afraid when they turn up, if you look in the Bible. That's because that's your natural response when you meet an angel, is to be afraid. And then when you get the entire heavenly host as well, all singing, must have been pretty terrifying. He says, don't be afraid, I've got good news. This day for you, in the town of David, a saviour has been born. Now, they may have been low-caste type Jewish shepherds, but they knew who the saviour was going to be. He is Christ the Lord. He's the Messiah. They knew what that meant. This is the one we've been waiting for. He's been born. And we're going to give you a sign, something that will tell you. This is the one. Here's the sign, folks. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, a baby wrapped in swaddling bands, well, that was what peasant families did with their babies. They wrapped them up tight in swaddling bands, kept them nice and safe and warm and easily transportable for a mother who has a lot of work to get on with. Because, you know, she's not sitting there sort of quietly singing lullabies all day. She's fetching water and baking bread and sweeping the house and doing all that kind of thing. You need a nice portable little baby. And so he's all wrapped up in his swaddling cloths. And he's lying in a manger. In other words, the cot that was handy was the one that the animals would feed out of. So it's a cot full of straw and hay for the animals. It's not much of a sign, is it? I mean, you know, you'd have expected there to be a big star in the sky. Well, there was, but um, that wasn't the sign for the shepherds. That was for the people who had to travel from far away. and and went to the wrong place at first, went to Jerusalem. But no, for the shepherds, who might have been a little bit alarmed at the prospect of going to see this newborn king, well, they won't let us in, will they? Oh, he's lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloths. Yeah, we can probably get access there. And so they go into Bethlehem, and there they find this baby, and it's all just as they were told. And it takes the eye of faith to see in this very ordinary scene of a little peasant couple with a baby lying in the manger wrapped in swaddling cloths. But they have heard what God said to them. And when you've heard what God says, that's what you're responding to. This is the saviour, the one we've been waiting for. And yes, as Clive said, it's all going to go quiet for the next 30 years, but they had seen him. This is the beginning of the confrontation between the powers of this world and the incoming kingdom of God. And it happens in such a small, obscure way. But then he is coming for the poor because the chief purpose of his coming is to bring about what God intended this world to be, a place where there is no injustice. 
There is no vast underclass who barely make ends meet, while others on the strength of their labour are living in the lap of luxury. That is unjust, and it is not how God intended the world to be. It is not meant to be a place where the haves and the have-nots inhabit different planets. It is meant to be a place where everybody enjoys the, the bounty of God's provision and the glory of God's ways. And that's what Jesus is coming to bring about. And the reason it talks about it being good news for the poor is because up till now, and still the case, for the poor there's not often very much good news. And perhaps for the rich there may be some rather bad news if they sort of think, oh, I'm going to lose some of my privilege. They're not going to be lacking because in God's kingdom nobody is lacking, but nor is anybody the big cheese while somebody else is just the, you know, the curds and whey. I'm going to quote from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, like that carol we were singing last Christmas says, Thou who wert rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake became as poor. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Now this is not about having millions in the bank. This is about real riches, the things that really matter. And sometimes people who have millions in the bank are actually desperately poor when it comes to some of the things that really matter. And sometimes people who don't seem to have much in the way of millions in the bank can actually be very rich in the things that do matter. Because this kingdom has totally different values. Everything's turned upside down, as it were. And if we're going to be part of this kingdom, if we're going to be welcoming the king, then we need to be the people who, who basically are willing to lay down our lives for his purpose. Can't say it often enough. When we become disciples of Jesus, our life is handed over. Our old life we have died to and been buried. And the new life belongs to him. And it is not about us. It is not about our dreams, our ambitions, what we want, what will satisfy us, what suits us. It's about God's purpose, which if we did but know it is such good news for everybody, rich and poor alike. And when we pray, thy kingdom come, this is what we're praying for. And it is so typical of God that he chooses Something that no human organisation would ever have thought of. And he picks people that would not have been top of your list if they were applying for the jobs in this particular drama. And he chooses methods that, frankly, in human terms, well, that won't work, will it? But 
God, the Word of God, who was there at the beginning, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. 